Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. And uh, the first part of the show is where we kind of just catch up uh, with each other. Yeah. And, you know, then we usually end with uh, Matt's Mental Health Minute, uh, some, some information that you bring, because you're a statistics-driven guy. You like numbers. I was looking at a bunch of them earlier today and having a good time. Now, let me ask you this. Do you like numbers because numbers don't lie? Or, 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 or what, is your, what is your infatuation with the numbers and kind of that, that style of psychology? Well, I, I like to know that, well, let's be honest. There's a lot of frou-frou psychology out there, and some of it we don't know if it is real or if it's just someone's opinion. So I think if you, are, you know, if you go to graduate school and you're a professor like I am, a clinical psychologist, you want to be able to measure things. So science, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously there's more to it than just numbers, but numbers help you know where you're at compared to other people and statistics can be manipulated. But, uh, you know, I was reviewing some personality testing with somebody this morning and it was really great because we were, we were able to clarify what's a problem, what's not a problem. And I think they left feeling kind of relieved and informed about what treatment they need. And, and I made it clear to me. So I I love measuring things and, and that gives you a place at least to start. And, and, and you said, and you know, a lot of things out there are kind of foo-foo and, and no real science behind them. But in the world I mean, of... Re- yeah, there's a lot of that. You it, know, but in yeah. the world of recovery where I live, sometimes uh, that frou-frou stuff makes sense to somebody. Now, I'm just playing devil's advocate for this because people called me and go, hey, what are you doing? And I go, I'm doing what works for me. There's yeah. no science or there's no reason why it should work for you. It may, it may not. That's not true. It's not? If it works. Yes. Then it's measurable. You may not know how to measure it, and you may not feel the need to measure it, but if something is working, then it's real, and if something's real, we can measure it. That's what I mean. So when I talk to people and I go, you got to find a recovery that works for you, something that you can do, something that makes sense, and it might not make sense to everybody else, but if it makes sense to you and it's working for you, I'll go back to that story I've told it multiple times when I was in the uh, recovery house. And while we're in the recovery, we had multiple people stop by and show different modalities, different ways to center yourself, to find out who you are and kind of what it is. And at one point, we're standing in a circle and somebody from the Lakota tribe comes over and they burn some sage and they take a drum and they start pounding on it and they're blowing the sage in everybody's faces. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And there is not a chance in hell that this is going to get me sober. Mm-hmm. And then she proceeds to talk. It shows. And when you wake up in the morning, you got to take your water. You got to bless it to the east. You got to bless it to the west. You got to bless it to the north. You got to bless it to the south. And be thankful for that you have this day. Mm. And I'm like, what is going on? I wanted to call my mom. And mind you, I'm 45 and go, what did you sign me up for? More importantly, <laughs> what am I getting myself into? Right. And, and this didn't make any sense to me. And so then we go to a different class, we go to different modalities, we go to different meetings. And the next morning, I'm coming downstairs, and I'm going into the kitchen to get my breakfast. I look outside, and there's two guys standing next to the river. And lo and behold, they've got their cup, and they've got it in the air, and they're resonant to the east, the north, the south, the west. And they're thanking for having another day. Yeah. And as these guys are getting ready to walk in the house, I was going to light these guys up. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, if you're going to buy this. That's a little O-Town coming out. I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, if you're buying that, I'm selling you everything I've got. Sure. And as they reached for the door, something in me said, why? 
Why are you going to take that away from them? Right. What benefit is that? If right. that makes sense to them and that helps them get sober, what kind of a-hole would you be to right. take that away from them? Right. And so I didn't say anything. Because I was like, if that's going to work for them, then let that work for them. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it would work for me. But if that's going to work for them and that keeps them sober, give it to them. Right. And so I guess what I'm saying is that although that is measurable, if it works for them. So what are we measuring? Sobriety? Perhaps. Perhaps where you already said it. Maybe we don't have to measure the, the prayer that they said or the sage, but the mindset shift that created gratitude. And there is a ton of research on gratitude that shows that it decreases depression, increases optimism, and people get healthier and happier when they practice gratitude every day. That's measurable. So perhaps the ceremony was a vehicle to help them shift into a mindset of gratitude and Perhaps today they don't do that ceremony every day anymore, but if they've retained an attitude of gratitude, then perhaps they're still sober. See, Scotty, that's why he's my friend. He's wicked smart. He's wicked smart. So we have to know what we're measuring, but I I, I do think that there are sometimes uh, things that are taught on social media or that are just work for one person's experience, and I wouldn't take it away if it works for one person's experience, but I, as a mental health professional mm-hmm. wouldn't try to teach that to everybody if I can't measure that it has predictable outcomes. I do know that gratitude has predictable outcomes and they're very positive in a person's life. But other things may work on a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. but they may not work for enough people for a professional to teach it to others. Well, that's a perfect segue into our next topic, and that is uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Right. And... Uh, you know, every year new words enter the lexicon and, you know, they seem to be buzz things going on. You know, it was being authentic or being present, being now. But it seems nowadays more people are addressing and talking about and dealing with and helping with mental health. For the longest time, the term mental health had a negative connotation where it was somebody who was sick or wasn't right or it seemed to be a scapegoat for everything that's going wrong in people's lives. Yeah. And and, and a lot of those things are true, but some of them aren't. And what we want to do is be able to address mental health. So when somebody says something to you like, what is my mental health? What is mental health? Oh, it's a, it encompasses a lot of things. I think it's how you feel emotionally. Do you feel stable and and good emotionally. It's um, your style of thinking. We call that cognition in the business. Like, are you in an optimistic, positive state, or do you struggle with um, one of the things I work with people on a lot are called negative automatic thoughts. Those negative thoughts that pop into our head all the time. Mm -hmm. And as I've said before, thoughts, feelings, behaviors, how we think about things, our perception has a direct influence on how we feel. And those emotions have a direct influence on what we end up doing. So a depressed person is more likely to have negative thoughts, um, negative moods, and unproductive behaviors. So mental health probably has to do with more of what we do every day um, than even our physical health does. And that got me thinking. And I would say mental health is physical health because every time you think something, every emotion that you have, it has a physiological correlate. You can't think, feel, or behave without something going on in your brain and your body. So Mm. they're very much connected. Very much attuned. Yeah, that's a good word, sure. So, like, 
I go to the gym six days a week, mm-hmm. and a lot of these people I see uh, all the time. And I spend anywhere from an hour 20 to hour 45 in the gym. Okay. Uh, and I don't think I put that much time into my mental health in a week, an hour and 45 minutes. How can people help work out their mental health? Does that make sense? Well, I think that is part of how you take care of your mental health. For example, just you going to the gym for an hour and a half, what do I know about you? First of all, I know that you're a human being, so physiologically it improves uh, your mental health through, you know, serotonin, dopamine, and other neuroreceptors. Runner's high is a thing. Yeah. You know, working out does improve your circulation and all those kinds of things. I also know that you're a very social guy, so that's part of it. You know everybody there, right? They call me the guy who dances at the gym. Yeah, that's true. Every time I look around, why are you dancing? And who are you dancing with? I go, yeah. just myself. Yeah. I'm listening to 90s hip hop, baby. Let's do this. So so, so you're enjoying yourself and, and you're, you're social, you're talking to other people and you're doing something healthy for yourself. And that's a mental health exercise. Like if you make a good choice to eat something healthy today, or if you make the choice to get some exercise or get more sleep, you just the, the knowledge that you're taking care of yourself and doing something healthy for yourself improves your mental health overall. Now, it may not be enough to treat a depression problem or an anxiety problem, but I promise you, no matter where you're at on the spectrum of of mental health, if you made three positive choices for yourself in one day that you don't normally do, Mm -hmm. got a little more sleep, uh, ate something healthier that, you know, I skipped the fast food and I made myself something healthy, or uh, I took time at lunch to go for a long walk or in the evening, uh, or I play with a dog, or I call up a friend, anything that's good in your life on purpose, you'll go to bed feeling better than you woke up. So it's, it's the small steps that can change to big things. My, my advice to people today, though, for, for mental health may awareness, which I'm glad we have, is uh, communication. And one of the things that I deal with a lot, working a lot with adolescents and young adults, is suicide and suicidal thinking. And there are a lot of people of, of all ages, believe it or not, even very young kids who have suicidal thoughts. And those thoughts are on a spectrum. Something from, oh, I wish I wasn't here. I wish this day was over is a pretty mild, but it's on that spectrum mm-hmm. to having a plan of how to take your life. And everything in between. And everything in between. And most people are still embarrassed and hesitant to tell anybody that they're having those kinds of thoughts. Do you think they're afraid to tell people that because they think there's something wrong with them? Or how do you open up a conversation that have those thoughts? Because from your mouth, it sounds like most people... I think everybody has had some passive suicidal thoughts. Like, I just can't do this. I wish this day was over. doesn't really seem like a suicidal thought, but it is in that vein of giving up, Mm -hmm. right? And some people have thought, I wish I were dead. I wish I didn't have to deal with this life. I I feel overwhelmed. And most of us work through some of those things, but we work it through better when we have help and support. There's a thing going around on text right now that people do. It's called FML. And it's the F word, my life. And, oh, and sometimes okay. people do it jokingly. Yeah. But sometimes that, you, yeah. you, you can that's read into it and, and you're like, oh. Yeah, that's heavy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I think people do it in a jokingly manner. But there's got to be some truth or some realness behind that because people don't just throw that out. So that's probably, I mean, I'm sure there's some that think it's funny. But for the most part, people do little things like that to try to get a little help and support, like throw a little a line, little out. line out there, see if you hook some help and some su- support. Um, 
most people are hesitant to bring up that they're struggling, but most people want the help and the support. And that's why I go back to communication. The people that you love in your life, friends, family, people like that, that are important to you, how often do you ask them how they're doing? Not in a weird way, just like, how's your life? You know? And then actually listen. And, and then be a good listener. It doesn't mean you have to do much more than that. Or they may divulge that they do need some help, and you might be somebody that could help them figure that out. You don't have to be a psychologist to support somebody. Absolutely not. In fact, uh, usually the best support comes from the people that we love and trust, and they might help you find professional help if you need it. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just need to know that somebody loves you and cares about you. So I am this month really taking every opportunity opportunity I can to encourage people to check in with the people that they love. Put your arm around them. Just say, I, I, you know, I love you. How are you doing? Tell me about how you're doing. And, and you, be willing to model that. Tell them how you're doing. Yeah. And and if you, if you don't see them in person, slide into their DMs. Sure. You know, just be like, hey, you know, just check Let in. Let technology work for you. Because that's what's so cool about Facebook is that, I mean, you can really connect yourself with people that you've known for the past 30 years, you know, and, oh, and, sure. and just reach out and go, hey, look, you know what? I just thought of this funny thing that we did 20 years ago. Just wanted to check in on you and say, hey, how are you doing, man? You know. I grew up in a small town, Morgan, Utah, with, uh, you know, class of 105, graduated in 1990. Uh, to this day, they're some of my very, very favorite people. I saw on the Facebook, uh, you were hanging out with two guys uh, you went to high school with at a soccer game. Yeah, so uh, my good friend Amy, her son was playing in the state championship for Morgan High School. And uh, my good friend Dan called me up and told me they're playing. Why don't we go support Amy? And so we went and did that. And another good friend, a couple friends from high school, we went golfing in Mexico recently. Like, I love these guys. And Facebook is, that's the good part about social media. Mm -hmm. the, social media gets a lot of hate for good reason. But I'll be honest with you, it's a great way to connect with people, uh, at least start a connection or reconnect, you know. There you go. Yeah. I love it. So uh, May is M health, Mental Health Month. Mental Health, mental health Month. I'll I get, can't even say it, yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So reach out and uh, connect with someone that you haven't seen yeah. for a while and just, just ask them just how they're talk. doing. Yeah. Just talk. Yeah. We've got a wonderful show for you today. We've got uh, skiing royalty in the house. I know. It's exciting. Uh, <laughs> his name is Scotty Hoffman. Scott, how are you? Good. Very good. Thank you. Uh, and you've been sober how long? 15 years, six months, give or take a few days. Right. Uh, how long were you partying for? 25 before that. <laughs> 25 before. And right. Uh, right. we're going to find all about Scotty's uh, story and his journey. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Scott Hoffman. How are you, man? I'm doing super good. Thank you. So I've got a rich history with Scott Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, nice. I used to ski for his father at the uh, Ogden Valley Ski Team. Uh, this was right. back in the 80s. My uh, brother did. My dad did work with him and, and all that. I even worked for his father at uh, the laundromat right off of Harrison Boulevard in Ogden. Right. Uh, I see your mom golfing quite often. Uh, she's a lovely lady. Uh, but I've even got a weirder story. Oh, good. Uh-oh. So uh, right out of rehab, uh, I was pretty much unemployable. Uh, I had a buddy who owned a moving company. And mm -hmm. he says, you can come work for me. And uh, the moving company was in Salt Lake. And I lived in a suburb called Farmington, which is about 35, 40 minutes out. Didn't have a car. Didn't have a license. Had no way to get there. Yep. Buddy of mine, Hayes Wood, 
wonderful dude. He paid for my Uber to and from work every day. Wow. And gave me an hourly compensation, which he didn't take the Uber out of. He just wanted to support me and give me the opportunity to get back on my feet. Wow. And without him, I don't think I would be here today. That's impressive. But part of my job was delivering furniture. We would move furniture from people's offices, homes, and when we didn't have that, we delivered furniture for restoration hardware. Mm. Expensive furniture. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, since I had the TV uh, experience, whenever there had to be a phone call, I was the guy to make the phone call. be the face. And so we're driving up in uh, the east bench of Salt Lake, and I get this number, and I'm supposed to call it and say, hey, it's Casey with Restoration Hardware. We've got your couch. Uh, Can we meet you and deliver it? So I call, and this lady answers, and I go, hey, this is Casey with Restoration Hardware. She goes, hi, how are you? I go, we've got your couch. And she goes, is this Casey Scott? (laughs) And I was like, what? She recognized your voice? I go, yeah. Classic. Casey Scott from the news? And I was like, yeah. She goes, what are you doing delivering furniture? (laughs) And I was well, it's kind of a long story. (laughs) Do you have a minute? (laughs) Yeah. Let me bring you your couch because we're both going to need to sit down for this. You know, and it was Julie. Yep. Yep. And uh, it was your house I was delivering furniture to. It was indeed. And uh, I remember. Julie is who? Julie's my better half, actually. Nice. Yeah. And so uh, I go in there, and then Scotty comes out, and I talk to Scotty, and I tell him that I'm, you know, my story, and then I'm in recovery, and I'm getting ready to start this podcast, and and I'm kind of nervous because, you know, I've been partying my whole life, and I don't know what this is going to look like. And I remember you telling me, he's like, if you want it bad enough, you can get it. And I remember you telling me that it's a beautiful thing if you let it be. Right. Right. And uh, that was probably a month out of rehab. And now for the past five years since I've been in recovery, I've had the chance to work with Scotty in a couple of different capacities. He does a lot of stuff with uh, Keystone uh, Living, right? Keystone Recovery Center. Yep. Right. And then he does stuff with the Valley Camp, which is up uh, in... Uh, oh, I've heard about that. Eden Huntsville. Yeah. Right. right, yeah. Right. And um, so I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for many years. Right. And right. we finally figured out a time to get you down here. Pressure's on now. I'm nervous. All right. Don't be here nervous. Here we go. Here we go. Because the, the crazy thing is, is I grew up idolizing you. I right. mean, in the right. ski world in Utah, in the ski world in general, Scotty Hoffman is a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is amazing. Uh, real quick to let people at home, what are some of the highlights of Scotty's ski uh, career? Skiing career. So would be... Uh, there are a couple of events that are still going on uh, within the country. It's uh, the Roach Cup, the Aspen Roach Cup. And the reason I say that is I was able to go there last month. Uh, uh, it's an event that I won. And uh, these are the biggest names in ski racing. And I get to stand there with my with my trophy beside them. But, I mean, these are World Cup legends that uh, that are able to do that. So, so you skied around the country as part of the World Cup? I did. No, well, not, not so much the country. I mean, there, we had a, a World Cup. We have two, sometimes three events, World Cup events. But uh, what that entailed was from 1976 to 1982, when I was on the U.S. national team, we would uh, travel to Europe a lot. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time in Europe, either World Cup races, Europa Cup races, fist races, but spent a lot of time at those big events. We're going to get to uh, your ski career in just a little bit, but gotcha. where does the story of Scotty Hoffman begin? <laughs> I'm an Ogdenite like you. Yeah, the biggity, biggity O. <laughs> oh, big O, big O for sure, for sure. But uh, I was born and raised in Ogden, 
Um, Mom and Dad were uh, Hoffman cleaners, not just Hoffman cleaners, but uh, they were just good old Ogden people, right? Uh-huh. Um, mom, my lovely mom, and also two sisters, Heidi and Kathy, that uh, eventually ended up being incredible ski racers, represented BYU, national champions, right? That type of deal. So, But I was born and raised in Ogden, and uh, I must say, if I could, uh, born and raised to be uh, an Olympic champion, World Cup champion or whatever. Dad was a ski instructor, ski coach, as you were pointing out. Mm-hmm. Um, um, ran the program there. It's right at Snow Basin, the snow, now the Snow Basin ski team. So, no, I was born and raised in the community. Two and a half years old, I started skiing. Gradually moved up. I got better and better. I mean, it was classic. It was the, the, the movie-type story that... Uh, I mean, ski instructors, the ski patrol would watch me. He would drop me off to go do his lessons. You know, when I turned about five years old, I was able to do it pretty much on my own. He would drop me off. I would go over on the mountain. Uh, Instructors, patrolmen would help me get on the chairlift, and away I would go. You know, I had a couple of buddies. And, uh, I mean, the the rest is, as you will hear, is is just history. uh, But it was a good childhood. It was amazing childhood. Amazing childhood. Uh, and you skied, and then you got better and better. Um, but you're on a podcast for a reason. Do you remember the first time you tried alcohol or any kind of substance? You know, I, I, I do. It, uh, it's interesting not to get too far away from that. Um, I would uh, – so this is a place up in Ogden Canyon, the Hermitage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, some of you uh, – Ogdenites and people that know Snow Basin people. I mean, it was a place that dad and all his buddies, I mean, they would stop in there after skiing, drink beer, and the drinking beer ended up going into whatever, busting, fighting beer bottles. I mean, but that's 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 how they lived, right? Yeah. So, so I'm there and, and a couple of buddies, you know, we're sitting in the booth in the back, um, reached over and grabbed one of the leftovers that the boys were drinking, right? And the girls or whoever, and just you know, I took a pull on that, and I mean, it was it was kind of you know, it was good. I just uh, at that time it was okay because I didn't uh, overdo it. But as you'll know in the rest of, the rest of the story, you'll know how that turned out for how me. How old were you when you took that first sip? So, uh, I want to say twelve, thirteen, fourteen. See I for. Was, for us, it was after skiing because I had the same childhood you did. I remember right. learning up on there, having a little pizza, getting right. a little pizza strap in between oh. your skis. Uh, but we, it was more of tailgating after uh, the oh, day yeah. there or going oh. to the shooting star. Sure. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. And so 12 years old, you took your first sip and then you probably just what partied like a normal guy for the early childhood or did you jump into it pretty heavy? Right. No, 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 no. I held off for uh, until I turned 30. And let me tell you, that part of the story is, is uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't drink that much. And what happened with my ski racing career, I got better and better, more successful. So I moved up the ranks and, uh, I made our U.S. national team at the age of 16 years old. Wow. Right? So I got to tell you, it wasn't something that was very receptive to partying. And uh, don't get me wrong. I got I to gotta come clean, to be honest. You know, we did, we did. We drank. We had fun. Weekends, this and that. But uh, I really... Uh, Plus, I got to tell you, my father, the old man, he was a hard ass. Yeah. He, he was. He was, the, you know, don't... This is not... This is this is our direction. This is where we're going with this career. 
for me. And so, did he push was, you hard into in the skiing? Want you to be the best? He did. Yeah. He did. Did you want it in, too, though? In a, in a good way, yes. And you wanted it. So yes. he was a father and a manager, and he was he was getting you to where you needed so to go. So many different hats that man was putting on, sure. And to be honest, you guys shared the same dream. We it, did. Yeah. We did. And uh, I love that. And so at 16, you make the Nationals team. Uh, you're giving it everything you got. Right. And uh, you're going big places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we started talking about the drinking, that it really wasn't, wasn't, with dad, it wasn't necessarily allowed, although, of course, we're kids. You know, we sneak it. I got I got caught in Mammoth Mountain, California with mm-hmm. one of my dearest friends, Don Beck. Mm-hmm. You know, we travel there. We snuck some, some, some beers in a cooler at a motocross race that we were back there, and, and sure as hell they caught us, right? <laughs> yeah. right? So party's over. Pack your stuff. You're going home. But, wow. but that, was, that was about the extent of it then. But So what happened is, uh, you know, it didn't really pursue... You know, as far as the uh, the addictions and, and and the alcohol didn't, I mean, I was I was now a national team and trying to to portray that image, and also keep up that uh, level of expertise, um, results, competitiveness. Counted, thank you for the words, competitiveness, just to, to stay on top. As a teenager. And I don't know if you know this about teenagers, but usually they don't have great insight. <laughs> Did you have the thought, if I if I drink too much and party too much, it's going to hurt my ski career? Or was that not on your mind as a teenager? You know, I don't think that that really it wasn't a factor at that time. It was, we're still, when you're young, I mean, it was bomb-proof. You know, you can go Invincible. Out and, but thank you. Yeah. Six feet tall. and Yeah. Yeah. And you're really not deal. six feet tall. How tall are you? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Throw me under the bus. How tall are you? Five five. And this is the crazy thing. This is the crazy thing with bone density. You know, I have a, a bone density problem with myself that I have now. I have injections. I mean, I, I've lost two and a half, almost three uh, inches over the last three or four years. You know, oh. some some serious health issues issues going on so. but if you're 16 on the national ski team you feel, you feel six, feet. six feet oh. tall oh, absolutely oh yeah yeah absolutely. oh yeah and so it seems like in your 20s you kept everything together pretty good i did i did so uh um one little setback and then this is what time uh turned me into going to the ncaa's and also into pro racing was uh so this would be 1979 i was in europe traveling World Cup, and I contacted a meningitis, mm. right? So back then, I mean, it was pretty much a, not a death sentence, but but almost, yeah. depending on what. Yeah, very serious. Yeah, so I, I came home, they said, uh, you're, you're not going to be ski racing anymore. This is done. I mean, I was blind. I was in the hospital and for a long, long time, and it was probably not going to be recover to be uh, ever at any kind of level. A pro level. Yeah, luckily if I was going to be able to ski again. So what had happened, uh, springtime, I buckled down and went to work for the old man, and I was toe-to-toe with down, at the, uh, down at the cleaners, and um, uh, phone rings. Dad walks over and says, hey, uh, Spence wants to talk to you. And Spence is who? Yeah, Spence Eccles, mm. right? And I say, okay, okay, okay. So I go over and... and uh, of course, I wasn't supposed to be skiing. I wasn't supposed to be doing this, this, this. And he is pearls of wisdom and whatever, smooth talking. He said, hey, why don't you come down to Ski Force down at the U, down at the University of Utah? And uh, 
you know, and I thought about it, I thought about it, and, and, and Dad finally said, you know what? He was, he, this doesn't just affect me, but it's, it's Dad, Mom, my sisters, everybody, right? So Dad says, well, maybe you could at least get an education out of this, this career that we've set up for you, right? Mm-hmm. So I did. I, uh, uh, fall came around, entered into school, and uh, started ski racing again. Uh, my health got better. I got better, better, better. Started skiing, started racing again, and uh, it just it it took off. I mean, I had the release of pressure of the World Cup, right? And, and I got to tell you, at the time, I thought, oh man, this is going to be a, such a step down. I'm going to be NCAA's and this and that. It was kind of a letdown. But truth be known. Oh, so far from the truth. The, I mean, these, these teams just, are stacked. Let's with, just pause for a second. The NCAA was a letdown for yeah. this guy. That, all right, that, all right. No, no, that's awesome. No, you're no, right. no you're that's right. awesome. And I get the in chance. My, in my mind, right. At the, at the U where I work, right. I get the chance to work with D1 athletes and Olympic hopefuls and uh, some of the pro athletes in town working right. on anxiety stuff. And that's true. These people are different. That you you're doing World Cup at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. That's amazing. Right. I just want to pause on that and say this is the real deal we have here in the studio today. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, th- you know, these people are kind of superhuman. Oh yeah. So you're now doing wonderful things for the NCAA. Right, right, right. So yeah, and, and but I, I was I thought it was going to be such a letdown, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the funnest year of ski racing that I had had to that point. Right. So I'm, I'm I'm with my college buddies, my Norwegians, every national. They're stacking these teams, especially now. If you look, I mean, these are Olympians, medal winners. Um, but it was going on back then too. But then, uh, I mean, the friendships and of course my drinking skills talk let's talk about drinking some beers oh my god i mean the norwegian scroll that i mean that's one of the prayers that i was probably taught then yeah but man we we had a killer killer time i won a lot of races and and not just my success but uh it was uh noram races these are north american races um, slalom titles that i ended up just because i was going to uh, just because i was going to college right but it got it worked out. It worked absolutely wonderful. I ended up uh, at the end of the year, we won the NCAA's University of Utah. Go Utes! There you right go. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, I won the slalom. Was second in the GS. Won the overall. And our team that was our first University of Team title. Cool. Spence wow. Eccles. Spence Eccles loves that story. But um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, at that time, I. Uh, I uh, I had uh, I think I said on ESPN on an uh, interview I wanted to turn pro. I said I was done, right? Yeah. So I did. I, I turned pro and uh, jumped into the pro gates. Rookie of the year, first year out of uh, out of the start, uh, wow. second overall, top American throughout the next quite a few years. And does the party and continue with the pro circuit? <laughs> Yes and no. So you still, I still had to hold on to that 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 image in the beginning. I guess so. This is great. You, you caught me. You caught me. And I have to, I have to backtrack a little bit in those first couple of years. No, because um, I was still, I was still um, so dedicated. I mean, national team coaches, dad, whatever else. I mean, it was just. The only way I was going to be successful as a pro to keep doing the same thing, uh-huh. but I kind of let my guard down a little bit. I uh, I owed it to myself, right? I'm now I'm pro. I can do this. 
we had Friday afternoon, I would sign posters, right? Go to um, uh, dinner events and pro-amps and this. I mean, there was drinking, whatever else, and all some of the other stories that you probably know about and hear about. Yeah. I mean, it was going on. So I... uh, you know, I, I just uh, I started partaking as those years went on. So there was a six-year span, so second, third, fourth year. And then what happened is second, third year into my career, in the pro career, I got injured. I, I blew up my knee, right? And that's and, devastating uh, for a skier. Devastating, devastating. And uh, I had already had one previous, um, ended up for the next two or three years having the same problem. So I would miss half a season. I would try to come back, work my tail off trying to get back, of which I did, but never to that same level that I was at before. So I started being more, I was kind of the, the pro-am guy. I would, I would schmooze and schmooze with some of the donors and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and I, so I started good, getting good at that. So basically becoming the face for the ski industry. Right. And right. Uh, traveling around and getting Travel people around. excited and, right. and, and doing promotion for right. upcoming events and right. stuff like that. Coming events uh, and some of the sponsors and, and donors that I sell. I add. think it's interesting is that you said, you know, the only way to attain this kind of success is if I keep doing what I'm doing. Right. But then you got to a certain level and you said... But I deserve this. Yep. Oh. You know, and, and that's an addict brain, and that's how we talk ourselves into it. You know what I mean? Is that, you know, I, I sh- come on, man. As look if what it's I'm- a reward. Yeah. Sure. And, and you probably saw it as a reward. or en- Entitlement issues. Right. There's Entitlement's right? huge. Yeah. Uh, for addicts, entitlement is huge. Right. Well, I think, and I, I think, you know, one of the things, you, you can tell me if you think this is true or not, but it it shapes how you think about what you're entitled to when you're out signing posters for people. Oh, right. Regular people don't have anybody asking them to sign a poster, <laughs> right? right? So, you, so it, may, it means you're special. It means you're somebody, and it starts to build that ego, and the ego gets bigger, and the ego thinks, I can handle anything, right? including getting messed up when I want to. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'll just a bit backtrack, talking about autographs. First autograph I signed was over in Europe. I mean, they didn't know, didn't give a squat about what we were doing here in this country. You go to Europe, Europe I signed my first <laughs> autograph on the side of the Autobahn in West Germany, right? I thought that was the coolest thing. That and then when cool. I started it's pretty doing cool. That, yeah. No, it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at it now. Yeah. And of course, the cute little giggly girls are like, what can we have here? And of course, and it was in German. You're a yeah. right. In, in their you're mind, cool. I, mean, I mean, it was like football yeah. to them. Yeah, skiing. that's their sport. And then now, so when I'm telling you the story about uh, signing pro posters every weekend, it's like, it was kind of a nice reminder. I mean, that's how the, the progress had gone. Sure. So now you've uh, you've damaged your knee. You don't think you'll ever ski as competitive as you once did, right? Uh, and so now you're becoming good time, Scotty, and uh, helping out with advertisers, donors, and events and stuff like that. Is it, does the drinking start to take over then, or? Yeah, well, uh, let's talk about some entitlement issues. So I announced my retirement in 1980, uh, 89, mm-hmm. Right? Um, do I go back a little bit and throw in? Uh, Sure. Yeah, throwing a second wife in there on that last year on the pro tour. Cute little snowy uh, snow bunny that that traveled around the tour with me came back, and uh, we eventually ended up getting married. But uh, um, where was I? Help me out. Well, no, no. So, so you renounced your retirement in 1989. Right, right, right. So, um, and uh, how so, old of a guy were you in 89? How old? What? How old were you? 
1989. Your age? Uh, 29. So I, that's what I knew. I knew he was going to still... Nobody gets to retire when they're in their twenties, unless no, you're unless you're an awesome but, athlete. Well, right? well, look, let's look at it now. I mean, retirement now. See, but back then they told us that we were over the age at eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Uh huh. I mean, some of the biggest names of skiing, ski racing, they're still looking back at that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also at, at at thirty being too much. I mean, guys are married, wives, kids, divorces, traveling, divorces, going <laughs> and then up until forty years old or however many with some of the biggest names in ski racing now. So let me ask you a question. Uh, during your heyday of uh, you know professional skiing and all that, had anybody ever pointed out I was like, "Hey, Scotty, you uh, you party a little too much. Uh, you might want to cut that back." Or did you were you pretty good at keeping it at bay? Or did you don't care what anybody said because you were six feet tall and invincible? No, this is a, this is a great lead in to uh, I told you about my retirement. So. 1990, I'm, I'm Aspen, Colorado. This cute little snow bunny, Lizzie, love you dearly. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I started work for the Aspen Skiing Company. But um, uh, Dick Dorworth, I mean, talk about a, a, a history, a man in, in skiing, a ski racing mm-hmm. in, in the skiing world. But I went to work for him in, in the uh, Aspen Ski School. And um, what happened was my... Not showing up on time. This took a one, two, three year process, but me showing and not showing up in ta- on time um, uh, told me that I, I needed some help. And, and that's um, minimizing alcoholic fashion, minimizing when he said you might need some help. It's like if you want to keep your job, yeah, do something about this. Yeah. And that, let's keep in mind that lovely wife's at home. Um, Friday afternoon for paychecks. I was lucky to make it home by Monday morning, right? She said, you know what? I could sure use some help with these new babies that are in, in our house that you've just <laughs> left. Seriously. Yeah. But that didn't, that it wasn't So you my, work all week, get your paycheck, and then party all weekend. Bar, yeah. And ignore some of those responsibilities like wife, children, things Commitments, like that. Commitments, yeah. yes. Yep. But you sell it to yourself, this is what I deserve, this is what I need, oh. and this is who I am. Damn straight. Sure. Sure. And that works I, until... I, that, that was my mindset, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, you, do you lose your job after three years at the Aspen Ski School? Eventually, yes. I was, I was there eight years and was politely escorted, asked, this is after the divorce... We went through separation. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So this is this is my this is my mindset when when my drinking when she says you know what I could sure use some help at home, and uh, so uh, I start going to AA meetings and of course I'm looking. I'm not like you guys. You obviously don't know who I am. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Right? Yeah. But so so I'm going to going to meetings, signing the paper appeasing the wife that I still had. And I also, so then things started getting a little worse. I'm, I couldn't hold up my end of the, the, the game. And it totally was a game. I get it. Like, to, you know exactly no, what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Trying to keep keep that at peace. So uh, I said, what about couples therapy? Let's talk about the couples therapy. So, and and that, that corny phrase, when you're pointing that finger, I got three coming back at me. Yeah. I did. I went to, and this wonderful therapist, couple of them, now that we went through, but I talked, I talked uh, my lovely wife at the time into let's let's do couples therapy. Yeah, thinking right. 
I had no chance. I wasn't, I was no more going to change. I, I took my drink to sit through the, the, the couples therapy meeting. I had a, a couple shots of vodka in the thing. <laughs> And you know what? She caught me. The lady caught me because she could smell it on me. How embarrassing. Right? Coming drunk to therapy. There you go. No, huh? But that's that's what our mindset does. And so that's what I did. Couples therapy didn't work. So progressed uh, farther forward. And uh, no, it just just continued to to keep going. Till finally she had enough. Finally she had enough. Uh, That's where I got to. Thank you for reeling me back in. So... Picking County Sheriff and and my wife, now ex-wife, my left town. Um, So I did what you gentlemen would know and all of us know that are possible, geographical, right? I'm going to move back to Utah. I'm going to move back to mom, dad, the home country. Mm -hmm. That's going to make it better. Back to basics, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll get a good reset at home. Get away from everything that's doing this and yeah. I was so far gone. I was so screwed up with by then i'd uh, let's throw some cocaine in there sure oh right 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 let's get let's get that ball rolling drinking cocaine and you know by the time i got to utah it was i ended up uh moving into my grandmother's house uh just that was basically i had nowhere else to go let me ask you this as a professional ski racer been all around the world retired at 29 made the nationals at 16 i mean you lived a pretty good life right at 38 you got to move into grandma's house right what does that feel like right it was uh demeaning but i'd i'd also uh I didn't really have. I mean, I was my mindset then. I'm, my addiction, uh, my addiction is so in full force. I'm like, this would be a great way to keep uh, to keep this momentum going, not on a positive note, but my drinking, mm-hmm. my keep addiction. Partying. Oh hell yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, garbage cans, recycling bins, Budweiser. I mean, they did. There was not a lot of food in either one of any one of them. <laughs> right just empties yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. totally and so so that's that's how that's how that part of it went so you moved into grandma's uh and uh how long did you party at grandma's for you know for for quite a while and then and then uh Wait, let me stop you there because the the champ comes back home Right. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, you come back to your hometown, boy. the golden boy. Right. Uh, and and right. what was the response to the community when they, they when Scotty comes home? You know, um, I, I think at first uh, it was OK. And uh, the other the other part, of course, I've forgot that when I first came home, I ended up uh, moving back in with with my sister, Heidi. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, her and her lovely husband got to take care of me to try to straighten me out then. That didn't work. That's why I ended up moving back into grandma's, into grandma's they house. Had, they had so, enough of you. Pretty much. I mean, I was doing the crazy, crazy stuff that 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 we do, right? Not an excuse, but it was just just not a good look. Not a. I was devastation, destruction that I'd started back in Aspen. It continued on with Heidi and Gordon, then my mom and dad, possibly. Um, work for dad I think later one on thing you can comment on this if you like but like kind of what you're telling me that this the the, the, de- the sad side of this is well here's a young man who's been on top of the world like casey pointed out all your achievements you know skiing in europe having you know being a celebrity right 
lost it. Right. Uh, resent the knee injury, resent the loss of the pro career. Um, marriage, lost it. You don't have that connection anymore. Um, good job in Aspen, lost it. So here you are living in somebody else's house. And I think that's really hard for a person to wrap their mind around. I used to be somebody. Now I'm living in somebody's basement. Right. Remember how hard and, you took it when you said, I'm skiing for the NCAA? Yeah. You know, and, then, and that, now you're living in grandma's house. Yeah. And so I think, I think, but the ego's still there and, and knowing that you've been somebody is still there. I, I think one way that people deal with that sort of, for lack of a better term, trauma uh, and loss and grief is to deny it and keep partying. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to recognize my fall from grace. I'm really not a celebrity. Nobody's coming over to grandma's asking me to right. sign a, a poster anymore. Right. But we don't want to admit that to ourselves. And so drugs and alcohol kind of keep us numb. And the other part about that is I can tell you from experience, you surround yourself people who do not have your best interests at heart. You know, right. I mean, you start hanging out with people you normally wouldn't hang out with right. and doing things you wouldn't because there's no pressure there. You don't want like you don't want to party in town and see somebody who knows dad or mom. You don't want to party and, you know, you, you, you don't. So you start hanging out in not good places. Right. Right. No, exactly. You're telling my story. Well, because I lived it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I've done yeah, I, I've yeah. got my own version no, of for it. sure. You keep that going for how long? Well, I keep that going for until DUIs and in and out of treatment, in and out. Of, I'd love it. We'll, we'll, we'll spend some time when we get into some solution for, for addiction. Uh, we can talk about a couple of treatment centers. Tell me about the first so, time you went into a treatment center. <laughs> that was perfect. Good timing. Yep. Nice timing. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about this yesterday morning. Betty Ford Center, right? So... My lovely Julie and I have reconnected, and uh, she's traveling back from Sun Valley Stops in Ogden to have a drink on the way home or see her friends or whatever, and I happen to be at the bar. And uh, we hit things off. I had gone through a divorce. She was going through a divorce, and things, things, got, things got going, right? And so that entailed... Drinking, partying, this and that, but she was she's a normie, right? She finally looked at me and said, "You are out of control. You need help." Again, I'd already been to treatment a couple of times before. She said, "We need to get you into some treatment, right?" So, um, she helped facilitate, send me to Betty Ford Center. You're the first person to have been on this podcast who's been to Betty Ford. And for those who don't know, Betty Ford was the gold standard in recovery. I mean, that's yeah, especially where... Especially for celebrities and folks, you know, like... It, Politicians. It, it, it was Betty Ford being an alcoholic herself. She was one of the first high-profile people, I think, to openly admit that she had a problem. And she put... She put her efforts into creating a, right. a, an alcohol treatment center, right? Yeah, and in California. Yep. Yeah. So you exactly. so she, she gets you into Betty Ford. She gets me into Betty Ford. And Did you want to go? Uh, so this is a great another uh, another high five on this one too. Um, the idea. So Julie and I. I mean, she is goes to a lot of 
functions, social functions, fundraisers. I mean, we're out. Oh, I know. I've so done tequila. I've done tequila shots with Julie. So, <laughs> so, so we're we're going to fundraisers. I mean, there's parties. There's this going on, and. Uh, Honestly, God, uh, gentlemen, I I went to Betty Ford with the intention the high high paid professors are going to teach teach me how to drink responsibly. Honest to God, uh, so that that's, was your that, expectation. That that was my expectation right. to try to rather than that, I wasn't going in cold turkey. I wasn't going to quit drinking. I mean, it was kind of crazy thought. Let me, this is going to love this. This was so bad. This is, if you think about how many thousands of dollars somebody just paid for me to go to treatment to get my together, uh-huh. right? And, and get my life back in order. I drank on the plane on the way home. <laughs> Seriously. This big book, this big book, this is a $30,000 big book. Honest, honest to God. Um, I drank on the plane on the way home. To test the waters to see if their teachings, my new thirty thousand dollar big book, uh-huh. worked. Yeah, and uh, it didn't. I, yeah. I, I, I failed miserably. Spoiler alert! Uh, it spoiler, didn't work. spoiler alert! Yeah. I mean, I mean, I made it maybe a week, ten days. I was back at it. Casey, you gentlemen know that that it uh, it doesn't let off. You, you, right. It just continues on. But isn't that interesting? That was your mindset, and and back to what I said at the beginning of the show: thoughts, feelings, behavior. How we think about things determines all the rest of it. And your thought was, I'm not going to go be sober. I'm going to learn how to drink like a gentleman, so I can keep going to these functions, and and I want to be able to keep drinking. And so as soon as you got out on the plane ride home, you were testing your hypothesis. You never changed your mindset. Oh, no, no. So you come home, in about seven to ten days, you make it, and then you're back at it. Oh, yeah. And uh, Julie's probably not too happy. No. Oh, no, no, (laughs) no. And that poor poor one, uh, uh, not not a funny uh, statement, it's a... Stuck in denial, right? So she went through this for the next, I don't know how many years, how many treatment centers. I mean, uh, do you know how many you've been I'm, to? I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a dozen. Some of them I did so well at the first time I got to go back, and I'm being a smarty, you know what? For for Santa like this, I went back two and three times. Valley Camp, I was I'm an alumni at Valley Camp three times. Betty Ford once, uh, Sierra Tucson, the Cirque Lodge. Been there. That's, that's right, yeah. right. I mean, I mean, Lindsay Lohan went there. Thank you. She was. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, anyway, Family yeah. Week. We had an interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but 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 that's 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 yeah. that's that's the way it. Uh, but in two thousand and two, you go to another one. Right. Which one was that? Right. Right. So you're bringing up that story I told you, aren't you? Yeah, well, so two, so this is actually 2001. Yeah. 2001. This is uh, Snow Basin, state of Utah. We are gearing up for the Olympics in one year, right? So. And who knows skiing more than you do in my, your family? Right. 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 My drinking had escalated to the point, and I'm. I can remember this plain as day, standing at the front door with Julie, that. Uh, one year we uh, th- that was our goal. One year, this would be 2002 Olympics, February 8, 2002. So a year prior to that, she had sent me to transfer. We went to Betty Ford. Okay, right. So after that, I was in and out, in and out. I didn't make it. I made the one year. Casey and I were kind of you and I were kind of joking about it. I'm like, I, okay, I got my one year. I'm good. I'm up. 
prepping for the Olympics. I'm on this wonderful team. We're setting up the downhill, side slipping, doing all the cool stuff that, in my mind, dreamed that I someday should have been there, right? But uh, one year anniversary, birthday, um, coin, my chip that we get in AA. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was on the 8th. I'll bet you by the 15th of February, I was drinking again. I did. I, I did. I made it. I did. That's all I needed to do. Well, there's, mean, a, there's a lot of people who think that that one year is the milestone. After a year, I've figured this out. This next time is going to be different. Right. Because, look, uh, if I really had a problem, would I be able to make it a year? Right. And, and that's the lies that we tell ourselves is that, you know, I made it a year. You know, real alcoholics can't make it a year. Totally. You know, and, and, and they're two different things, you know. Right. Um, but that's that, that's the way we sell to ourselves. Right. So by the 15th, you're drunk again. Yep. Yes. So let's go to the last time you went into a rehab. What what were the circumstances that brought you there? Uh, oh, this is, I don't know if you planned this or if you do this. No. Last time I went into rehab, my last rehab that I went into was prison. Really? Right. I didn't know. Right, right, right. Yep, yep. So in and out of the program, in and out of the fill, uh, fellowship, in and out of detox centers, and then jail. How many times I went in and out of jail, and then finally uh, I was sentenced to prison. For how long? A year, 12 or 14 months, I think with good behavior. I got out a little bit early. I'm but, guessing you missed but, the Olympics. No, no, no. Oh, I saw okay. the 2002. Saw the t- no, no, no. <laughs> oh, I, did, okay. I did my part, man. Okay. I, I did that. That's when I, my entitlement issues, we keep bringing up that terminology. Mm-hmm. But I did. I was good. I was good. So but, do you mind asking what you got sentenced for? I mean, it's, it's DUI. A, DUI. DUI. And not, uh, of course, not one. And, uh, you know, for three DUIs, it was a felony. And it was as classic. I can see the guy. And, and this is the cool part of this story is it was Judge Dutson up in Weber County. Yeah, I dated his daughter. <laughs> Annie. Oh, more stories. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, did. Super cool. I went to high school with her. Right, yeah, right, we were on right. the swim team together. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, for uh go before Judge Dutson again, he gave me a chance originally to uh to go uh into work release. Right? I'd uh I spend my nights in, in jail, wake up in the morning and go out and go to work, come back and check back in. I went from his courthouse to top of the Ben Loman Hotel, I was roughing it. Yeah. yeah. You and I are joking and laughing, right? Uh, I was far from it. But so I didn't make it from there because, of course, I had to celebrate because I wasn't going to prison. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Far from it. I, I went 10 days. I had mom, dad, sponsor, dear friends, my sister Heidi, a uh, bunch of people knocking on the door, wellness check. I mean, that's how my drinking escalated, right? So when I went before Dudson again, um, he did. It was classy. He'd peek over, you know, those squinty little glasses that I put over the side. He looks over. He said, well, Mr. Hoffman, you leave me no choice. You know, and he's looking over the prosecutor, he said, the prosecutor, he said, I know you told me so. Meaning, prosecutor told about me. They they warned him. They said, no, this guy's, this don't guy's. Don't give him a chance. Don't, yeah, 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 this is wrong. He's going to let you down. So, nope. So he did. He, he boom, gavel goes down and uh, I'm, uh, I don't look good in orange. Yeah, I get but it. But damn straight, that's what I was wearing on my way to uh, Provo. And so you got, you got sober. You got sober in prison. I got sober in prison. 
I got sober in prison. Do we, we want to keep going with yes. this? Yes. Okay, so I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm still, I'm like, head still trying to wrap my head around this, 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 this. So when you go to prison, you are locked down 23 of 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. right? You get out for an hour, you get to make a phone call, take a shower or whatever. And, and, and this is great because, see, before that, people had finally fed up with my BS. Ex-wives, kids, parents, Julie, collect calls from jail or prison wasn't happening, wasn't happening. But by the time I'd gone to prison, that one hour that I got out, the phone call, of course, I was calling Julie, and it took me a couple of tries. I I did, and then I'm almost embarrassed to say, but uh, of course, I was asking how she was, and thank you for taking my call, but but I'm quite certain I asked her, I said, hey, can you call John Huntsman? You know, good friends of hers. And I said, call. He was governor. I said, this is definitely wrong. I don't belong here. Look at these people. You're looking Honestly. for a governor pardon? Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> we're, we're, we're laughing. This is, this, is a, this is a group chuckle laugh right now. Amazing. Honest to God, but that was my mindset. This is I the had... first guest on the show who actually knew the governor. <laughs> yeah, right. And could try to go for a party. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was. It was it was crazy and, and, and I was I was quickly shut down on that. And uh <laughs> but I gotta tell you, things started to change in my mindset. Not to mention stories about my celly on, on who murders and other people that were around and, and sitting in the dentist chair when I'm having some dental work and what craziness that he had gone through. But things started to click for me. At some like, point what, you- like you got to have a conversation with yourself. And oh, man. I did the same thing with me because uh, I tried to blame everybody, entitlement, oh. all that other stuff. And then I had to ask myself, who's been the one constant in my life? And it's me. Oh, me. And so I've got to have a little ownership of what's going on. No. I can't blame it on my ex-wife. I can't blame it on my parents. I can't blame it on the pressure. I can't blame it on the job. The only one that's really got to take some ownership is me. It's me. And when I had that conversation with myself, that's when things started to change. Like, okay, well, I've got to fix this. Totally. And, and so sounds like you had one of those in prison. It 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 I had one of those in prison for sure. And uh, things just started. I told you I, that was the last tr- uh, treatment center that I went to. So when they, after my 30 days, 45 days of observation and also looking at my history from my shenanigans in Ogden. We were counting, I told you, uh, going to jail, the detox center, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about prayer and meditation about that. My prayers consisted of then, get me out of this one, big guy, and, and we can talk. Honestly. <laughs> and then you guys know I've that made that, that same that, bargain. That, no, we do. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. No, we do for sure. That's what we do. And and uh, anyway, so I uh, um, went through the motions, and then they figured out, they put me in a, in a treatment center in prison. Right, so they recognized you oh, had yeah, yeah. a problem, and right. they they took a little mercy on you and said, "Let's get this guy into treatment." Right, right, and it wasn't the uh, as much of the clink slamming doors. It was a little more easier than that, but not as but nice as the Betty Ford Center. Not a, not as oh. <laughs> I got to throw a joke in there too about all the different treatment centers, right? Um, so I'm going to rate the food at the Betty Ford. The beds in Sierra Tucson, Sir Lodge has the best. So anyway, bring me <laughs> back, cushy, bring huh? me yeah. back. Yeah. So so anyway, um, 
B- back to that. Um, where was I? Well, so you so you got sober. They put you in a treatment center right, in the right, prison. So, um, in prison, and and so also my mindset then, I was a little reluctant because treatment. I mean, handful of treatments, two handfuls of treatment centers. I should be teaching this class, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you would think so, <laughs> yeah. right? Don't they and, know and, who I am? And uh, and then uh, beds made. 45 inspection bounce that quarter off i mean my attitude had started to change drastically right and then uh, i talked about prayer and meditation uh when i was in weber county the the hour that we got out in in jail was going to church on sunday so my dear friend uh, i don't know not a missy my dear friend i think you probably know missy Mm -hmm. she was connected with me letters throughout prison and this and that. So I, I, I started going to Catholic church in, in prison. You know, I, I, I finally had gotten to the point where I need to do something different, right? Whatever I've been doing ain't working, right? For sure. So I started doing that. I did, I did the, uh, the treatment center in prison and then uh, going to church found some some new things there the missing link i keep uh reaching over to my big book that 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 thing threw me for a loop god higher power stuff like that i'm like i thought it was just uh AA. you just hold hands say a, a seance and and right be healed type of deal <laughs> no you the, gotta do the, the work yeah you gotta, gotta do, do some work right so you get out of prison what does life look like for scotty outside of prison no longer wearing the orange nope Nope, nope, nope. Things are things are looking a little better, but and this is crazy. <laughs> I tried <laughs> Did to make you this, hear that? Uh, but but, yeah. but so uh, the place that I was living in, that wonderful Ben Loman, up the top. That's that's cool. That's the cool part of it. But A P and P building is right next door. That huge block building on twenty fifth and Washington. Uh-huh. Guess who my neighbor is? The jail. No, well, the jail and APMP building. My parole officer, um, everybody else in that building. So I'm on a curfew now, 9 p.m. I got to be tucked in nice and neat. I got to be home by 9 p.m. at night, right? And my, and my new PO is a stone's throw away. Mm. So that's easy peasy for him. And, but it, 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 I got to tell you, things started to, uh, to click in. I wasn't trying to beat the system. I didn't want to try to beat. I'm said I'm, I'm like I'm like BS, man. I'm in. I'm 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 over this. Plus, you know what? The embarrassment, the uh, the disappointment that I'd done my family, my friends, everybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let's let's uh, roll the dice and go with this direction. Throw mm-hmm. it on this table. What do I got to lose? What do I got to well, lose? Well, I think that's a good point, actually. You know, uh, for Casey, he's a, a TV. Uh, personality here right. in Utah for you. You're an international ski celebrity. Uh, you know people like the governor and the Eccles. And so when you embarrass yourself, you have a much bigger audience. Oh, man. You two guys than the average person. And I can imagine that at some point sunk in and you realized not only did I screw up and hurt my family and friends, but a lot of people saw me do it. Yep. So you start to go down that direction, things start clicking. Right. How, how do you get uh, involved with uh, Keystone Recovery and Valley Camp? Oh, you are so good at this. I, well, I don't know. I've been trying. It's not he's your a, first day at camp. Yeah, yeah professional. Casey. <laughs> Jeez. So what happened was uh, 
my sponsor sent me to my first, back to my meeting, the Valley Camp. He said, you get that GSR position back. GSR Jervis, General Service Representative, of which represent Valley Camp in our district up in Brigham City, represent Valley Camp. So get your butt back into service work. The first thing he told me, he said, I want you to go to the Saturday morning men's meeting at McKay Hospital. Right? I want you to week, uh, walk over, introduce yourself to a newcomer, ask if there's anything you can do for him. Get him involved in the program, see if there's anything, if he needs a big, big book or whatever. And then, uh, and then eventually when I was able to go up to Valley Camp without a travel pass from my parole officer or something like that, he said, I want you to get that, that GSR um, um, back. That position back, right? Mm-hmm. So then that that uh, I did that for two years, um, and it was, it was another classic story too. So I uh, I would get to go to all these different treatment centers to uh, to check in, and when I was going there, whether it be Ogden Regional for their treatment center or somebody else's another hospital or another treatment center, I would walk in the door and they and they. They kind of start to smile and say, Scotty, we don't have any beds available. <laughs> no, they, they thought I was coming. Seriously. No, 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 I'm here for you guys. They're like, oh, no, no, Scotty's here again. <laughs> right. That's right, right, right. great. And uh, I said, no, 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 guys, I've, 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 uh, I've, I've, t- I've turned the page, page and I'm, uh, I'm trying to do something different. So what does life look like for Scotty now? You know what? I, I have to tell you, it's, uh, you could make a movie of it. Now, and uh, not to be too bold, but it's and it's not to make a movie, but it's just doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Waking up in the morning and, and, and doing something for somebody else. I know that mm-hmm. guy that makes a lot of no. sense to a lot of people now. Didn't for me for a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we, we in our addiction, we become so selfish, so egocentric, right. and uh, it's blaming everybody else. But service right. is a key part to uh, recovery. That's why I love doing this podcast. This is part of my service. This is giving back and letting other people know that right, recovery right. is possible. And there's many different ways up Sober Mountain, and there's a lot of people doing it, and they're here for you. And people always go, when they reach out, why did you pick up the phone? Because somebody picked it up for me. Right. So that's the promise I made, and that's the deal I made. And so if somebody wants to know a little something about recovery, and if I can help you in any way, that's what I will do because somebody did it for me. Me too. I get so many calls. Not a lot, but enough calls from friends, family. Hey, listen, I have a a family member or a friend that needs some help. You know, wonderful lady from California called me, a dear old friend, national team member, said, hey, I have a friend. We, We need to get him some help. How can you help? I'm there. I mean, that's that's the easy peasy. And then and the other part of the nice thing to say is that you realize me helping you, you're actually helping me. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's like a newcomer. That that a newcomer is the most important person in the meeting. Uh huh. Right. And and for me, with the selfish side of me, uh, reminds me this disease is alive and well out there. Mm-hmm. For thriving. sure. Right. It's thriving. 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 So. So real quick, Valley Camp is what? Valley Camp is a men's inpatient treatment center that, uh, I mean, you can go 30, 60, 90 days, stay there, and then uh, a nice lead-in for my next, uh, the other project that we're we're involved in, a Keystone Recovery Center, Mm -hmm. 
transitional housing. And we, uh, after you graduate there, and you don't have to go to Keystone. You can go anywhere where else fits on your uh, treatment plan, on your release plans, where we can put you. But that's usually the way it goes. Scotty, why is transitional housing important? Oh, excellent. He's, Dr. Matt, he's, talk about high being five, on it. For him. Oh, get that one across there for sure. But uh, transitional housing. Um the success rate, and there are some facts and figures in that little booklet I brought, but you guys know the, the statistics. Success rate... 13%. Uh, ...goes up extensively, extensively um, with um, transitional housing. Well, because Keep, the, the reality is is that so many people go to a recovery center, uh, and they'll get sober, they'll spend 30, 45, 90, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and they get the pink cloud, and that's where everything's good. This is attainable, and we can do it. But then they go back to the same situation they left. Sometimes that's a toxic environment, not conducive to your recovery. And so you wonder, well, how are you going to thrive in a place that you failed before? Right. So a transition house is perfect because it will give you the tools and a safe place to stay while you figure out your next move. Yep. Right. Yeah. Totally. I love it. I think it's essential to to real recovery. So, Dr. Matt, what are your thoughts on Scotty's story? (laughs) Wait, I had one more. Okay, yeah, 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 you betcha. Go for it. (laughs) Thank God. Josh is going to edit, but uh, you asked me what my my daily life and what my life's like now. It's kind of twofold. A couple of hats. You got a hat going on there. I have a couple of hats with treatment centers that are up and running and and, and very successful. I also have a snow basin ski team. Snow Basin Ski Education Foundation, right? Absolutely love. I was born and raised there. You spent a lot of time around in the area, and you, oh, yeah. you know what goes on there. But uh, absolutely love it. So I'm I'm all in. I sit on the board. I'm one of the head coaches, and uh, part of the deal with that. So the group I'm with, they're the 10 to 14 year olds. Um, I try to teach them some skills, some teaching, some ski racing skills, right? But um, I also want to tell you, that's the make-or-break years. Mm. Honestly, gosh. You, you guys know that, right? I believe it. Yeah. Meaning, meaning, not skiing part of it, but um, when we start looking at drinking and some of these stories that you and I are oh, smiling I... about. And uh, anyway, the make-or-break make years, I try to keep them engaged in, in that, right? To do something on the snow, off the snow, to keep them engaged through those years before things take over whether it be drinking drugs or something like uh something else like helping that. them not go down that path right right yeah. and and if i may because uh, that path is that path is pretty welcoming yeah. oh well, I mean, especially so welcoming. when you're that age yeah. <clears throat> i mean your only currency is willing to do it and you are embraced and welcomed into that that world right it's we're, pretty easy we're at a phase right now with, with uh the snow basis ski team kids that 14 15 16 years old they they Girls, guys, we start looking the other way and, and, and going back to school, not going to school, going somewhere else, moving. So we're losing a lot of kids like that. So if we can build that solid base now, that's 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 what I try to do. And also, I got to tell you real quick, too, to, to finish up. Um, I'm pretty sure I, you've never done I, I anything did, real quick. I, I've done. <laughs> fun, uh, I've done. Uh, I do. Uh, I, uh, I do an awful lot of fundraising mm-hmm. for whether it be these treatment centers, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, also with this key team. So I, I go to these donors that have helped us tremendously over the years, building all these treatment centers. 
and I go back to them because there's a lot of stuff going on at Snow Basin. We're trying to get some money to do this, a new building, this, this, this. And I go back to them and they say, Scotty, what do you need now? What, 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 are, you, what are you bidding for now? What do, you, what do you want money for now? And I try to tell them, right? Good um, stuff. Ski team. Yeah. Ski team stuff. And they're, and they're a little apprehensive, but then I, uh, I throw that, that card in about 10 to 14 years um, um, those uh, do or die years, I said, help me keep these guys um, involved, right? Sure. Doing the right thing. And so what we've done is we've set up a, a wonderful scholarship fund, the Butch Hoffman Scholarship Fund. Oh, I love it. Huh? In honor of right? your dad. Right. That I had, I have very, very little to do with. It was a name and, and the money. These people love giving and, and, and the scholarship funds goes to people economic that aren't able to actually pay to be on the ski team, the B. Uh, so that they're not so the snot nose brass that. That, that that have the money to be on this key team, yeah. they actually need that scholarship and that work, and so give them that opportunity. Give them that out. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I'm going to ask you your question now. What do you think Thank about you. Scotty's story? Well, it might take me another hour to unpack everything I think about Scotty's story, but I'll tell you this: I'm going to quote Scotty. I'm t- what I'm doing ain't working. Right. Right. And I think. As you were telling your story, for me, in in your storytelling, that was that was the pivot point. That's right. when you you had that moment of insight. What I'm doing's not working. I got to do something else. And I think, you know, all of us, whatever our bad habit is, whether it's drug and alcohol addiction or some other bad Food, habit, porn. As soon as you can really dial down on, you know, what I'm doing just isn't working. I think that's a golden opportunity for change. So I appreciate you bringing your story and um, inspiration, frankly, to to everybody. I love the fact that listening to Scotty's story and talking about all the amazing things he's done. I mean, from joining the Nationals team at 16 to signing autographs on the side of the Autobahn uh, over in Germany uh, to being a pro ski racer to helping with the 2002 Olympics. When you talked about those stories, there was a light in your eye. Oh, yeah. But when you talked about things going on at Valley Camp and giving back to the kids, the light was even that much more brighter. Right. So, you know, I I think you are a happier person now. uh, And unfortunately, you had to go through what you did to get where you are. Right. But you're such a blessing to the community. I think your family has got to be beyond proud of the accomplishments that you have done. And it's an honor to call you a friend. And we're lucky to have you stop by and share your story. So, Scotty, thank you, man. Likewise, yeah. Thanks. Scotty. Likewise, everybody. It's a it's a it's a treat, treat for me. So I'm humbled, grateful, and blessed to be able to do this now. Right? You're amazing on the, on, on the right side of the right side of the deal. Well, thank you for stopping by and allowing us uh, to give you one more episode of Project Recovery. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what, Doctor Matt? You know, it's a KSL podcast. Humbled, blessed. What was the last one? Grateful.
contents of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.